I want to start in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 26. Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 26. Now, before I read, I'm going to make a statement to you. Um, a few. I mentioned this the other day. I don't remember what we were talking about, but, oh, it wasn't here. It was in another group. I love competition. There's just something about it that brings out a side of my personality that doesn't get brought out otherwise. But if it's competition... It doesn't matter if it's trying to throw a quarter closer to the wall than you did or a sport of some kind or quizzes, anything that's a competition. That's just, it gets me going. That's my personality. I like competition. I've always been that way. And, I, you know, that really, if we stop and think about it, it's a part of our nature, and some people, I realize, are more competitive than others, and some people are more competitive in certain ways than others. But it is a part of our human nature. I think I want to talk about human nature tonight with God's help. And I made a statement of a while back I said, your flesh doesn't need any help knowing how to do what flesh does. It just comes naturally. We have a, we have a flesh nature. You understand that we are a living soul with a spirit. We are spiritual beings. And while we're here on this earth, we have a fleshly body. It's the vehicle, if you will, of my soul. The vehicle is my flesh. That flesh nature, I remember a time all the way back in the Toppenish uh, Yakima Nation Event Center many years ago. Elder Hart was teaching there and he, wrote, he read a verse and in the context or in, in the translation that he read it, I believe it was in First or Second Peter, but he talked about your base nature. You understand that's talking about your flesh, your, your base nature. If you took everything else away, the spirit, the spirit of God, your conscience, and you just have this base nature. That's in the Bible, and it says, don't give in to that. If you do, well, you're going to have some repercussions from that. But it's my base nature. That's my, that's my flesh. That's my human, or we might call it carnal nature. This verse, Hebrews 10, 26, says, For if we sin willfully, everybody say willfully. 
Say it again, willfully. That, does it, that means not on accident. If I sin willfully. After that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, the whole book of Hebrews is written and, and it kind of weaves in and out of Jewish law, talking about the law versus Jesus fulfilling the law and kind of the rules that apply before he did and then the rules that apply after he did or the change that took place because of what he did. But in this chapter specifically, it talks about sacrifice quite a bit and sin quite a bit. And it's saying before Jesus died, you had to do these sacrifices, but even with the sacrifices, your sins weren't totally gone and I like, it's a different verse in here, but he says, if your sins were totally gone, you wouldn't have to do any more sacrifices. But, you understand, the law never said, my good Israelite people, sin all you want to as long as you keep doing sacrifices. It didn't say that. It said, if you do sin then you need to have this kind of sacrifice. But in here, the writer says, if that sacrifice really took away your sin, you would feel that you don't need to do any more sacrifices. Yet, you've all always felt you needed to do more sacrifices. So That's because that's the witness of the fact that the sacrifice is not taking away your sin. And then he talks about Jesus and his sacrifice and that it did take away sin. And then he says this, if you sin on purpose, after you know the truth, the sacrifice that was given for you is no more. That's a pretty heavy statement. I'm just letting it sink in for a minute. I've been buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus and it covered my sin, Acts 2.38, for the remission of my sin. It's gone. Why did I do that? Because I knew I needed to to have those sins washed away because I received the knowledge of the truth. And I responded to that knowledge of the truth. Now, if part of the knowledge of the truth is knowing and learning, you can do right or you can do wrong, well, I don't have the excuse of, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I didn't know that was wrong. My, my daughter Annabelle sitting here, she was baptized when she was six years old. I still remember the day I said, she, she said she wanted to be baptized. I said, why do you want to be baptized? That's, that's not just me being curious, you understand. That's me making sure she knows why she wants to be baptized. And she said, to have my sins washed away. And I said, that's right. You've got knowledge of the truth. You know that you've got sins and you know you need them to be washed away. So after I've done that, and then I'm told here's what's right and what's wrong. See, sin 
Here it says, if we sin. Grammar people, is that a verb or a noun? If we do. That's a verb. So it means to do wrong. Or if I can put it this way, it means to stray, to wander away from that which is right. So if we do wander away from that which is right, willfully, then it's implied in there, you know what's right. You know I'm supposed to stay on this path. So if you wander off of that path, you knew you weren't supposed to. Okay? The Bible is full of conditions. And those conditions mean things to us. All right? If somebody does not know and has never heard that there's a thing called sin and there's a right path you're supposed to be on. First of all, they're not on the right path because they don't even know that there is a path. But now once they start to learn and know, they become accountable for what they've heard and learned and know is right and know is wrong. It means to stray from the path. To sin willfully, to stray on purpose, as opposed to sins committed inconsiderately and from ignorance or from weakness. It means when you know what's right and you don't do it, or when you know what's wrong and you do it. If you got that much, say amen. That's what sin is. And if you do it willfully, it's because you know you were supposed to do it and you didn't do it, or you know you weren't supposed to do it and you did it. Now go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I remember, I'm just reminding you, flesh doesn't need any help being flesh. It doesn't need any instruction on how to do wrong. You just let it go and it will find the wrong and it will find the ways to do the wrong because it is the base nature. Read this verse. Hebrews 12.1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, this is this grammar, people? Is this a verb or a noun? Lay aside the sin. That's the thing. A noun is a person, place, or thing. So lay aside the thing. Okay? The sin. The verb to do wrong is to wander off the path. You are out there doing sinning. Then, after you've done the verb of sin, you have a thing called sin in you on you, about you, all around you, okay? Whatever preposition you want to use, sin is there because of the action. You get that? Now it says what you're supposed to do is lay aside the weight and the sin. Lay aside the sin. Wait, I, I thought I laid it in the baptistry. 
Well, what did you pick back up? I'm just asking, okay? If you, if you have been baptized in Jesus' name and you have never sinned again, way to go. If you have been baptized in Jesus' name and you have sinned since that time, you're human, you picked something up that you need to lay aside. It's on you until you get it off of you. That doesn't mean you need to be baptized again, you understand. There's a scripture for that. I won't go into it tonight. But it says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. That's talking to people who have been baptized. Understand that? Not people who haven't been. If you haven't been and you confess your sin, that's great that you're confessing your sin, you're kind of on, on the right track, but you also have to get baptized for the remission of that sin. You can't pick one verse or the other one. I don't want to do this Acts 2.38 thing. I just want to do the confess my sin and he'll be faithful and just to forgive me. No, it doesn't work that way. I just want to read you in a few different translations that phrase, the sin which doth so easily beset us. Because King James... It's a, it's a word we don't use very frequently, to beset. The Christian Standard Bible says, the sin that so easily ensnares us, was ensnare, trap. The sin that easily traps you. NIV says, the sin that so easily entangles. What is entangle? To trap. To wrap up, it's the sin that easily, see, the, it, it says it right there, so easily. Everybody say easily. It's not hard to get into sin. It's easy. The New Living Translation says, the sin that so easily trips us up. Ensnare, tangle, trip you up. English Standard Version, the sin which clings so closely. What am I supposed to be doing with these things? Laying them aside. The thing that's going to trip me up. The thing that clings so closely to me. The Bible in basic English, the BBE, not the B-I-B-L-E, the BBE. Sin into which we come so readily. That pit is right there. I really don't want to fall into that pit. But I do want to kind of get a little closer to it. It's still there. I don't want to fall into it, but I kind of want to dangle one foot over it. The pit is ready to catch me. You get it? Now, you, whatever imagery you want to put with that, a pit, a trap, a rope, whatever, that thing is ready and able to catch the one who's wandering, the sinner, the one who's getting off the path. 
It's ready. God's Word translation calls it sin that distracts. The Good News translation, one of my favorites, calls it the sin which holds on to us so tightly. That's what it means to be beset. I was teaching this one time several years ago, and there was this fad going around called bedazzling. What does bedazzle mean? You get these little jewels, right? And you stick them on stuff. Well, what you are literally doing is besetting the thing that you are bedazzling with beads. Get that image in your head and now picture yourself beset with sin. That's the way sin wants to operate. That's why that translation says a thing that hangs so closely to you holds on to you. The Amplified Version says, the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Cleverly entangles us. What is that? Is that talking about the devil? Not necessarily. It's talking about the you that will do the things you want to do if you let you do the things you want to do. It's my nature. It's my flesh. It's my sinful nature. This is why I called this lesson your fiercest competitor. It's not the devil. Psh, psh, whip him up, he's gone. That's easy. But me, what did Paul say? I have to do that daily. Up one side and down the other. I die daily. If I don't, that's ready for me. I am my fiercest competitor. Again, Amplified, the sin which easily and cleverly entangles us. And then the Amplified Classic version says, that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. Your flesh, I'm saying it again, your flesh does not need help finding fleshly activity. The problem with that is most fleshly activity is sin. The things I want to do. Me, 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 I, I, I. My stuff. The things I like. It's no wonder the scripture says, set your affection on things above. Let the things that you like become. That means you've got to change. You're not going to wake up one day and magically be the stronger Christian you always wanted to be. Mm? You better hear that before I say it again. You're not going to magically wake up one day 
This is what it's like to not be susceptible to sin. I made it. It's not going to happen. The sin which so readily, deftly, that means capable, cleverly clings to and entangles us. If you look up the phrase, doth so easily beset us, you might be surprised to know that's only one word in the Greek. Doth so easily beset is one word, one action in the Greek language, and it's only mentioned one time in the whole Bible, and that's it. I love it when that happens, because I don't have to search any further for the meaning. It's right there in that verse. You understand this? Sometimes when you're studying scripture and you see a word, Sister Dora, I heard you say this the other day, it means one thing here, and you see that same word, and it means something else here. It's, oh, the Lord's making it hard on me. No, he's not. He's given you the tools. He's given you the discernment. He's given you the knowledge. And I dare say he's given you the time to find out what it means. But here, that's the only time this word's mentioned in the whole Bible. Talking about sin, and it says this is what it does. To skillfully surround. It's all around. Well, standing around. Standing around well, it knows what it's doing. And it uses this imagery. A competitor thwarting a racer in every direction. You understand they didn't have, you know, cricket and rugby and foosball and frisbee back in the Bible days. The competitions they had were pretty much racing. Some boxing. Not a whole lot more than that. They weren't throwing quarters against the wall and seeing who could get it closer. Maybe they did it with something else. I don't know. But the image he uses here is, imagine you are running a race. Okay? You got the start line and you got the finish line. And the whole time you're running, somebody's going, Nope, stay over here. Nope, don't go that way. It says that's what sin does. It doesn't want to let you get to the finish line. Hang on, what is it? Oh, sinful, sin stuff, that sounds terrible. Let's just find it all, identify it, get rid of it right now. The problem is, it's you. It's not your neighbor. It's not anybody else. It's you. So I'm running a race, and I'm also saying, don't do that. Go over here instead. Try this out instead. Have you spent any time over here? Maybe you should do this instead. That's sin. So easily besetting me. It's clever. It's clever. Because you're clever. It's, it's clever because you're clever. And you're clever because God made you that way. Not so that you would have a hard time with sin. You understand? But so you would have all the attributes that God has. We are made in His image. 
Some folks want a spiritual lobotomy. Lord, cut out this part of my brain so I don't have to think about anything else. I won't even be tempted by that. I don't even have to wonder about it. Take out all that stuff and just leave the Jesus part in me. I'm sorry to tell you he's not going to do that. This is what he would get. I think I talked a little bit about that on Sunday. Somebody that's not interested in doing the will of God. I just want to march with no thought. I just, I don't even want to have to think about any of this. Really? That's the relationship with God that you want. That's not a relationship, that's a robot. So that's, that's why he's not going to remove the you from you. Thwarting a racer, running in every direction. It means to prevent, to make slow, to hinder, to impede, to obstruct, to delay. These are all the things that the sin in your life wants to do to you while you're running the race you're supposed to run. Let's just pump the brakes a little bit. The sinful nature says, just slow down. You prayed enough today. You prayed enough yesterday, you don't even need to pray today. I'm being honest with you. This is what the sinful nature tells the spirit man. How many times do you need to open that Bible a day, man? I mean, you've only opened Facebook 40 today. How many times do you really need to open that Bible? You did that last week. I'm not preaching against Facebook. It's the thing that you want to do instead of the thing you know you should be doing. Your sinful nature, hear me, this is my summing what I said. Your sinful nature makes for a fierce competitor, expertly obstructing your attempts to run the race that is appointed or predetermined for you to run. God set the race. He appointed for your life the start and the finish and how he wants you to get there. And then he said, ready, set, go. I'll help you as much as you want me to help you. I really will. But I'm not going to drag you. That's not helping you. That's forcing you. And I got my fierce competitor, myself, making it difficult. I really think this is what Paul is trying to say when he said one of the most confusing King James passages, that which I would do, I do not do, and that which I would not do, that I do. That's what I find in me. I find the guy that would love to do all the right things, 
but it just so happens he is the guy that's doing all the wrong things. While at the same time, being the guy that doesn't want to do any of the wrong things, only wants to do the right, but he doesn't know how to do the right. He said, within me I find not how to do it. This is not an excuse to sin. All right? You hear that? I'm not telling you, just do what comes naturally then. I'm not telling you, give up. I'm not even giving your sinful nature any more credit. I just think it's helpful for us to know what the Word of God says. This is what I would do to me if I allowed it. Quickly, I'm going to tell you again in some of these translations what it means to lay aside. That's what it says. Lay aside every weight and the sin. Well, yeah, that just sounds like pick it up here and put it over there. These other translations. To throw off. To strip off. To put off. To get rid of. To rid ourselves of. To strip off and throw aside. You get the picture? What I'm supposed to do with the sinful nature? Not just, oh, you poor guy. I know you got a hard time. Maybe tomorrow you'll do better. Way to go today. You tried. No. You are supposed to get rid of. How do I get rid of my nature? This is, I already said it. This is me. I'm the one with the thoughts, with the desires, with the actions. I'm the one wanting to do the wrong. How do I get rid of me? I already said it. Paul said it. I die daily. Another passage, he says, mortify the deeds of your body. That means kill. Mortify means kill. The deeds means the works that you want to do. Kill the works that you want to do. Oh, that's radical. Well, all I can say to that is it's not more radical than being lost for all of eternity. That's radical. To lose the race is radical. To die lost and enter eternal damnation. Why? Because of all that stuff that's on you. The sin that beset you. To die with that on you is radical. To tell you, maybe you should take that thing off. Is that really radical? Maybe you should examine your life and see what things are hindering my walk with God. 
And I'm the radical one for telling you that. It also says the weights. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You do, you're supposed to do the same thing to both of them. All that I just said, lay aside, means you're supposed to do it. Not just, see, here's the kicker. We want the black and white list and strike through. Don't have that, don't have that, don't have that, don't have that. I'm good to go. All right. Lay aside all those sins. No. That's part of it. But that's not all of it. At what grade level do you learn about compound sentences? Maybe first, second, third, somewhere in there? A compound sentence, what does that mean? More than one thought in the sentence, right? Go to the store and buy some groceries. I went to the store! Yes! I did what I'm supposed to do. Came back home. Uh... Where's the proof that you went to the store? Oh, that's right, I forgot. I was supposed to buy some groceries. Go back to the store. Come home. I went to the store again. You're only doing one of the things. My guy. There's more than one thing you're supposed to do. I can't I I, I should be always looking out for sin, like we just said. But I should also not only be focused on that, I should be looking for the ways that I can run this race the best, including what things are keeping me from running this race better than I could. Why? Because that's a weight. That's a weight. The term really here is unnecessary weights. God does give you some things that you got to work through, okay? I'm not telling you that you get on easy street and then you lost all that weight, <sighs> lost all that sin. This is easy. No, he's not going to take all that off of you. But you are supposed to look at the things that are unnecessary and say, is this helping or hurting? Is this besetting me or propelling me? Unnecessary encumbrances. I found this interesting, the way the Lord shared this to me. Sometimes it's more obvious to others than it is to you because you've gotten so used to it. Because when it talks about weight, it's really talking about like the word is protuberances, things that stick out. Like, this is me. Pay no attention to that thing that's sticking out right there. This is just me. And I've gotten used to it. What's the deal? Everybody else sees you and, what's that thing sticking out from your side? Oh, don't worry about that. I got used to it. I'm used to it. What? So, it, so you can run with that? Well kind of hard to run. In fact, it's embarrassing 
the way it looks when I run like this, but I'm used to it. I mean, I've learned how to live with it. It's not a sin, I guess. What do you do with that thing? You lay it aside. You take it off. You get rid of it. This is what I just described is what we call denial. I'm not trying to make light of it because many of us know what it's like to live for a period of time or for a long period of time in denial about some things. Well, you know, I think the Lord told me something about that a long time ago, but he hasn't mentioned it anymore. He hasn't come back around and hammered me in that area for every day, so I, I think it's all right, right? What did he say? What did he impress upon you? In which direction was he trying to lead you? Denial. I could sum up both of this, the weights, the sins, as everything that slows us down. I think, I'll be honest with you, I think the problem is we get comfortable with our pace. <sighs> One step forward, two steps back. Oh, another step forward, two steps back. Well, I'm facing the right direction. Yeah, but you're getting further and further away. But I'm moving. You're hindered. You have weights on you. You have sins on you. And you cannot move forward with those things. Next verse. This is the only other verse I'm reading. Do all that, lay it aside, get rid of it, looking unto Jesus. This is the continuation of everything he said in verse 1. Let us do that, let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He is my example. He wasn't encumbered by all this unnecessary weight. He didn't have sins all over him, holding him back, keeping him off track. No, he endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. I've been wanting to say this for some time now, in the holiday season especially, that word joy gets thrown around a lot. I promise you this is not a Christmas context right here. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy is the future hope. The future 
promise. Imagine, imagine if you would. I, I can see it through my children's eyes. Them watching a man who's been beaten and, and bloody and carrying a cross. And them thinking, why is he doing that? Why, why doesn't he just stop? Why doesn't he just give up? I'll tell you why. It's because he's got joy set before him. He knows that the thing he's enduring right now is not the end, is not the finish line, it's not the final say. It's the joy that's set before I got a problem. I've got a problem with churches, Christians, religions, messages, whatever you want to call it, that make joy that you can find in this life while you're alive the thing that you should be striving for. I know I'm kind of getting on some slippery ground because I'm just going to depress you all and send you home. That's really not what I'm trying to do. I'm wanting you to see what the verse says. This is not heaven. The thing I'm going through, the thing I'm enduring, what did it say about Moses? He chose rather to suffer affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If we only understood that, how much easier this should be. You can stand with me. I'm coming to a close. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew he had a place and this is not it. I need that to be my mindset. I've got a place. This is not it. It, it, it shifts my entire focus and concentration of my life. If this is the place that I care about, if I care about the comforts of this life, if I care about the pleasures of this life, you understand that word we said about Moses said choosing, right? Not it was forced upon him. This is why he's a hero of our faith. Because he chose. He chose. Now, there is a whole other side, and maybe the Lord will help us get there at some point, not tonight, about seeking him first and him giving you the desires of your heart. I'm not preaching some woe is me, we can't be happy message. Do you understand that? I'm happy. 
Sometimes my wife says, then why doesn't your face show it? <laughs> I'm happy. I don't need more. I don't want more. I'm careful to say I've got enough. Why? Because, hear me, a long time ago, I received the knowledge of the truth. That doesn't mean I know everything, you understand. But it means I've heard and learned enough to change my mind. You, you and everyone, this world, is not going to change my mind back. What will hinder me is me. My other nature, if I can put it that way. The one that still wants to do good, but doesn't do good. The one that still wants to profess godliness, but struggles. That's who I'm talking to tonight. The Bible says, if any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father. That advocate is the man, Christ Jesus. The first thing we got to do is get able to confess. Not to me necessarily or the person next to you. You got to confess it to yourself. You have, if, you, if you're not convinced that this thing is a sin or a weight, you're not going to try to take it off. The longer you play the carrying game, the harder it's going to be for you to confess this thing is a sin. Oh, it's clever. It's the clever nature of the flesh. That's why it's like the worst thing that can happen to a child when they break a rule is for them to not get caught. Ooh, I got away with that. I wonder if that means I could do it again. Oh, I got away with it again. Wow, it's like they don't even care. You know, the Bible talks about people with that mindset towards God. He hasn't smitten us. I'm still here. He must not care, or maybe he's not even real. That's in the Bible. People with an attitude like that. The Lord says, oh, I know, I see him, and I'm real. And I will prove myself in my time. Don't you worry about it. Let's pray, Lord. I want to know your word for my life. I want to know your direction for my life. The race, the course, God, that you've set before me. Lord, you know the path of my life that you have set me on. And God, you already know every obstruction in that path. Lord, there's nothing new, God, that's going to catch you by surprise. God, there's nothing new... That, that you're not able to handle. 
that you're not able to help me through. God, I know the scripture says that with every temptation, you make a way of escape. God, every obstruction in my path, you already have the plan for me to get around that thing or through that thing and leave it behind me. God, help me walk. Lord, help me walk. I want to walk in your ways, Father. I want to know your ways, Lord Jesus. I want to have knowledge of the truth, Lord, because it is the thing that keeps me, and it is your Spirit that guides me, leads me into all truth, Father. I desire to be led. Come on, let that be your prayer for a little bit. I desire to be led, God. Jesus, I'm not trying to make it on my own. I don't even want to make all these choices and decisions myself. I desire to be led by you, God. I desire to be led by your instruction, by your word. Lord, when it's necessary, by your correction. Because the thing that matters is is that I run this race. God, that I do set aside, lay aside the clever nature of my sinful flesh. God, I lay it down. I lay it aside right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I know I'm going to have to do this again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Lord, I'm not even trying to tell you I'll never sin again. Lord, I'm wanting you to help me right now. Lord, help me. Guide my path, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, help me, O Father. I submit myself to You, Jesus. I submit myself to You, God. I crucify this flesh, God, and the deeds of this flesh. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I hear the Lord. He's talking to people. He's talking to people about weights in their life. About things that He would have us set aside. About things He would have us take off and get rid of. Come on, it's going to be His strength. It's not even your own strength that requires you to do this. It is His strength. It is through His will. It is through His strength. It's Him that gives you the desire to do of His good pleasure. It's Him that gives you the ability to please Him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want to follow after Your voice, Lord. I want to follow after Your voice, Lord Jesus. And know what is Your direction. Know what is Your truth. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, help me, Father, help me, Father. Use that advocate with the Father right now. Use that advocate that you have with the Father right now. He's the mediator. 
between God and man. He did go to a cross and die to take away our sin. He did carry the weight of all the sin of the world. He won the victory over it. He won the victory over it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, while you're praying, continue to pray. I've got to say it. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, would you let the Lord lead you to obey and follow His Word? To follow after the path that He laid out for us in His Scripture. In the name of Jesus. Come on, it says it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I've got to have the blood of Jesus applied to my life in the waters of baptism. In Jesus' name. Help us, God. Help us, God. I'm thankful, Jesus. Would you express some thanks to the Lord? I'm thankful, Jesus, that you carried the weight of my sin. I'm thankful, God, that you took stripes on your back, God, for my healing and that you purchased my salvation. I'm thankful for it, Lord Jesus. I believe in it, O oh God. I believe in it, Lord Jesus, and I'm thankful for it. I am convinced, God. I believe Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Should you live through the night, and I expect that we all would or should, and you make it to tomorrow, be ye warned that you will be there. You understand what I'm saying? You will be there. I won't be there necessarily. Your brothers and sisters here won't be there. I mean, there's YouTube, and I'm there. But you will be there tomorrow. If the Lord wills. And what do you do with yourself tomorrow? What we talked about tonight. That's the way you address it. And this is Tuesday. If you make it all the way through Wednesday and you somehow, by God's grace, make it to Thursday, you will be there. Both of you will be there, your spirit man and your flesh man. And for as long <laughs> as you both shall live, you will be there. You're not getting off the hook just because you prayed tonight. You have been given the instruction for how to deal with you. Amen. Amen. I love you all. I'm thankful for you.
I'm praying that God helps us go in his grace. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.